0: Hello, Trombone Internet. This is Chris Van Hoff, assistant to the regional manager of the International Trombone Festival. We at the festival, of course, are huge fans of the pod, and we are really excited to invite you to attend this year's 2024 International Trombone Festival at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Dave Begnosh is our host. We have the world premiere of a brand new double concerto for trombone and piano with the Fort Worth Symphony. We have the American Brass Quintet. We have Late Night Jazz featuring a Latin jam session. Like everything is happening, all the cast will be there. It's the best hang in the world, and we hope to see you there. You can register for the festival still online at www.internationaltrombonefestival.com, and it's happening the last week of May. So go register. We'll see you in Texas. welcome to the trombone retreat podcast of the third coast trombone retreat today on the podcast we hang with legendary new york based trombonist david taylor my name is sebastian vera and i'm joined as always by nick schwartz nick it's almost time what time would that be oh and how do you feel when you hear that
1: four days um when I hear that, I think, oh, I can probably get like five pages read in a book. Because <laughs> the trouble not playing Do
0: you have any no idea show. what your count is now?
1: It's in the front of my book. Um, I tally every single
0: show. Uh, okay. It's over 300, I believe. Oh, man. Is it ever like when you're shampooing your, your hair in the shower and you don't remember if you did it or not, and you're like, oh, wait, did I do a tally mark? Well, I have a system I do at the end of every show. Oh, that's smart. See, that's smart. You're a smart man. I'm a, I'm a smart man. So thank, thanks to everyone for the amazing feedback we got on the Carol Jarvis opening season episode. Holy crap, what a story. Um, so many people reached out, and, and I'm sure she, she heard from a lot of people. And that, that was just a really cool talk, and I'm really glad we got to... It was, it was just a no-brainer that we wanted to open the season with it. And we're excited to continue our season with, with one of my musical heroes, Dave Taylor, who I got to work with a lot in grad school and he's maybe one of my favorite musicians, let alone trombonists on the planet. Seventy-eight years young. Yeah, and, and seventy-eight years old and still actively recording and putting on
1: not just not just playing, but solo concertizing. That's pretty remarkable.
0: He's a machine. He's a machine. And he's he's just He's done everything. He's a creative force. He's still innovating. He's played with everyone you can imagine. So, we've been looking forward to talking to him for a long time, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you also to our Patreon patrons. Had such a cool conversation with Athen Garza, the new bass tromos of the Seattle Symphony, on Now Hearing Candidate 1, an audition podcast that breaks down the processes of audition winners from preparation through audition day. And the video podcast is all up on the Patreon for subscribers at patreon.com slash retreat. Also had a recent interview with Jeremy Buckler, the new second trombonist of the Baltimore Symphony. I've been really enjoying these and it's fun to just like pick one specific topic and just really dive in on what makes everyone successful. And it's interesting because a lot of people have different strategies. So it's, it's been really cool. Yeah, and I've
1: been churning out my excerpt slash etudes per month, and tied in with that, I had a a trombone tip I just put out on my favorite etude books, which sounds kind of like a simple topic, and I I guess it is in its nature, but um, I, uh, people who know me, I really like etude books, (laughs) but particularly how to use them, uh, and I attribute that a lot to, uh, I I had a teacher that was really good at tying etude books together with, like, Oh, you're having problems with this in this solo. Go back to this etude. It's like using them, what they're intended for, like a tool in a toolbox. And speaking of tools, Sebastian, there's one thing you know about me, and that's that I don't like buzzing the mouthpiece very much.
0: You and Christian Lindbergh.
1: <laughs> I guess I'm a little bit uh, less adamant about it than him, but... Um, one thing I don't like about it is the, the the difference of resistance, and I've tried all sorts of tools that will mimic resistance of the trombone. But this n- new tool that was sent to me by Houghton Horns called UpSound is a little device that creates some natural resistance.
0: Oh.
1: So it sounds like, but ooh, a demonstration! You no, know, I got you. Got a demonstration along with it. I really love it. It's really, really small. fits in your case, and for me, it's exactly what I was looking for. To create some resistance with mouthpiece buzzing because I do find that there's a benefit, but I felt like it created unnecessary tension in your aperture. So I think that this thing, with its mimicking of the trombone, is a really cool device, the upsound, sold by Houghton Horns.
0: That's cool. So be sure to visit Houghton Horns. Houghton Horns aims to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. We love them. Be sure to visit HoughtonHorns.com where you can shop online, schedule equipment trials, consultations, repair services, and more Houghton Horns First Class Brass. Enjoy this episode with Dave Taylor. Very excited about this. Go oh forward, man, you so much for hanging out. Yeah. Are you John now, or are you Sebastian? how How is your name going now? So, man? my first name is John, but I, I've kind of always gone by.
2: I know that. That's how I know yeah. you, but I see your first name now all the
0: time. Yeah, I, I, so I just confused everyone, because in Texas, I like went by John, and, and then when I moved out of Texas, I started going by Sebastian, so it just confuses everyone. So, professionally, I just keep right, it. like so
2: what do you prefer? Call me Sebastian. What do you prefer, man? Like I always did. Well, I might have called you other names too. In the you called me
0: Cat. You called me
2: Cat. <laughs> Cat, right? I'll stay away from that because I'm trying to be dignified today, man.
0: It's good to see you. Your office looks really cool.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of my wife. I mean, you're seeing the neat part of it. My wife hates coming in here, but I do a lot of recording around the world. So yeah, I have a, kind of a nifty setup, you know.
0: It's a lot, a lot different than it used to be, I imagine, with. Cause when when was the peak of the, the jingles when you were just like going from studio oh, to I studio? I,
2: I was doing that, not telling anyone, but I was doing that from 1974 uh, till about 2001. And that's funny you mentioned that because I would turn down recording sessions to do jingles. That was uh, Wayne Andre's secret that Irby Green didn't kind of get much more money in jingles. Much less time, more time to practice. And you could do a bunch in a day, uh, what, right? Oh, yeah. There were times I'd do four a day. They didn't all pay off. Some of them paid 5000 bucks an hour or something.
0: Oh, like hell! No.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it was a very lucrative scene, and uh, I had freedom. Somehow I worked myself into the artiste zone for these people, so I could go at will. A lot of guys were strapped to the scene. The only thing holding me back was my wife insisted that I stay home until the kids were teenagers.
0: Are we in the interview? Oh yeah, now, baby! Or are we just oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah!
1: Oh yeah! It started.
0: Yeah, sneak attack.
1: <laughs> okay, um, it was actually. A, I mean, I
2: turned down a symphonic stuff. I got fired from every. I was playing in every orchestra in town, in Brooklyn Philharmonic, and I was a member of St. Luke's and Orpheus, and subbed a lot in the New York Philharmonic. But um, I would send in subs to rehearsals because, well, it was two things. It was just. Um, I didn't like the idea that there were some freelance orchestras that, even though they only hired you for five concerts a year, expected you to give everything up to show up to their stuff. So I never—that was a political thing. I never paid attention to. So I got fired from a bunch of
1: places. <laughs> you, you say it's like, a, <laughs> uh, it's like a badge of honor. I like it.
2: <laughs> well, it is a badge of honor because
1: um, I'm still yeah, here. Yeah, totally. I, I get it.
2: So it kind of is a badge of honor. I never thought of it that way. But, yeah, that is. A con- well, I, that's not true, man. I just think of it that way because every now and then you get down and you have to keep yourself bolstered, you know. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Nick, can you talk slightly closer to the mic? Is that uncomfortable? yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, that was another question. Am I close enough
0: to that? Yes. You're you're great. I'm getting a lot of bass tones <laughs> in your voice. So just...
2: <laughs> well, that's, that's my manly man. <laughs>
0: Got that ribbon, Mike?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, it's funny you know that. Uh, this is actually a precursor to the 66. This was made around 1939. No and it's a double ribbon. Oh, It's an unusual thing. But the problem is it's a smaller magnet. They started putting larger magnets in these things. So when I record, I got to get up real close. to
0: So is that the main one you'll use when you're making recordings with your mic? Yeah,
2: yeah. I have about five microphones. I have three great like um, contact microphones, really great. One I paid like eight, 900 bucks for. But this is warm.
0: Yeah. And it looks so cool when you... You know what I mean? Now. I mean, ribbons probably are the best for trombones, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I do. I love it. Well, I used to like... I mean... My faves are like Neumann 67s. That was my main part of my career. 67s and 87s. I did a recording last week. I don't know if you guys are into the into the uh, extended technique cats, but uh, there's a great flute player named Robert Dick, and he and I just did a duo thing, and we're going to do a trio thing next Uh Contrabass flute and bass drum. Oh, yeah, with some electronic sounds around, and now we're going to add percussion. A uh, lovely player. We'll probably do that by Zoom. His name is Jerry Hemingway.
0: Dave, Dave, you're always creating, and you're always, you're always. You have such an imagination, and and the, for you, for you, it's not worth
2: very much in the moment. No, you don't think man. so. But, yeah, keep. No, I don't.
0: But you're always like coming I up mean, with like as, cool as combinations pay, as payoff. I mean,
2: as payoff.
0: I don't mean as aesthetically important. So, what? Where, where does that come from? Are, are you always? Just wanting to create new sounds, like what what speaks to you? What gets you going?
2: You know, it's funny. I you know, my main teacher, my beloved teacher, was a fellow named Davis Schumann. Yeah, and, uh, Mr. Schumann. And Mr. Schumann, he was such a creative, imaginative man. I guess I, I didn't know any other way to do it. And the other thing, also, was I started later. You guys probably started playing trombone when you were
1: three. Years oh no. no! No, I was eleven. No. I was twelve. Yes.
2: Yeah, I was 17. I mean, I was a tuba player. I was a high school tuba player before that, but my mother couldn't get us home, couldn't get me home from school because I lived far away from school sometimes, so I played my kid brother's trombone that he had now. So when I was around senior in high school, I took that up. And uh, I don't know, they took me to Manhattan school, they took me to Juilliard, but I couldn't read. They took me to Juilliard, I couldn't read. I faked them out, man. I played the slow movement from the Haydn trumpet concerto, mm-hmm. and uh, they took me. I guess they liked my sound. Manhattan took me, to Juilliard I took me, but I want to say they were showing so I went to Juilliard. I came in differently than you, Cat. So because they wouldn't let me in theory classes, Juilliard until I took to elementary theory, and because they wouldn't let me in any ensembles, I immediately went to the street. Started playing in community orchestras, big bands. That's why. That's how I got into the big band thing. Because when you're out in the street, man, you realize you just got to play the trombone.
0: And you were doing this while you were in school.
2: From the first day, when well, the first day I realized they weren't letting me in to the ensembles.
0: And that's why. That's why one of the main questions you always when I, when I was at Manis and you were teaching.
2: When were you? When was Manus, I? You? I was there
0: 2000. Six to 2010, I think.
2: So I'm trying to figure out when I saw it. You knew me when I was kind of a newbie, I think. You had been there a I, little I, while was, I, just, I had been, yeah. I, I was there for like for about 28 years now, something like that. But
0: you know the question you always ask us? Like every time you no, saw man. us, you're like, hey, kid, you getting out of the building? <laughs>
2: I still do that. Those who stay in the building will stay in the building.
0: And, you know,
2: but I did it out of necessity. I mean, I didn't do it as a choice, man. I knew I had to get some playing experience, and they wouldn't let me do it at Juilliard. I was a Tenor Trombone when I went into Juilliard. And then somebody put a, a got me a gig at the Lederkranz Orchestra. I needed a bass, so I borrowed the concert, and E2H from the school. And man, within six months, I was out there hitting it. It was really wild. It was like a skyrocket, probably because of the tuba. Yeah.
1: Like the, the, like the tuba drew you closer to the bass trombone rather than the tenor trombone? Yeah,
2: yeah probably it did. You know, I didn't even know what a bass trombone was until they, I mean, I had seen it in third trombone situations, man. But uh, And then I was, you know, we had a fraternity at Juilliard for a while, 5 UL. Yeah. And, so, and it was really wild, man. Somehow they elected me to the president of Canada. So <laughs> oh, we oh, oh. <laughs> did nothing but fool around. Bob Sirenac from the Met. Mm. He was in it, man. You, you met, you know, was Bob still there? Yeah, you, he, he, he just
1: he just related? retired. He just yeah.
2: retired. I know. I ran to him in the street. So we had a brass quintet. Bob Sirenac, David Jolly, a guy named Garrett List, who wound up teaching in Liège, and Ronnie Rahm, mm-hmm. who broke up the damn group because he went because they started up this Canadian brass quintet.
1: Yeah, it's it's and,
2: and so we our quintet broke up. We were in New York West. How the hell did I get to that? Oh, <laughs> so because I was a, because I was the president of the thing, we had a bunch of guys there, and one guy's father drove a Selsa truck. So I made his name is Andy Seelig, a tuba player. So I made him the official man of the group. We had a great time, and he told me it was a guy named Alan Raff looking for a guy who doubled on tuba, bone and tuba. Alan Raff was great. Yeah. yeah. Phone call. Don't know if oh, yeah. I not who he is. But Yeah. So I made this one phone call and started my whole non-orchestral career off this one phone call because he was so busy that i never turned him down once. Freebie gigs, non-freebie gigs, whatever. And um, there was no beepers then, man. Uh, this must have been 1966, 67. There's no beeper, So he would call my mother, who was a housewife, God guess or so. And I would check in with my mother twice a day to see what, three times a day to see what subs I had. And he had me working all the time. And I wasn't ready for most of the gigs. You know, I, I, I was a good at that point. I was a pretty good orchestral bass drum bone player, but I had really very little experience. And they threw me with Bill Watchers and Wayne. out all these guys, man, and uh, I had to sink or swim. And I throw myself at the mercy of the court, come on, cats, help me out. And I don't know how to do that. As far as I didn't say cats, I was humbled. You guys only know, know me as a sweet old man.
0: <laughs> that, that's all I ever think. <laughs> hey, hey, Dave, Dave where, where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like?
2: I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in Flatbush. I was born in Brownsville, East New York. I went to a high school called Tilden High School. A luckily, man, never gave enough creds and props to Mr. George Sassel, my junior high teacher, man. He made my life, man.
0: Uh, teachers, man. So, And, and what, 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 was, what was dad doing?
2: My dad was, uh, oh, I was the first one to graduate from high school in my family. Neither uh, my parents nor my older brother graduated from high school. It was kind of a rough scene, you know. Money was a problem. So I delivered newspapers when I was 14, 15, that kind of thing. I always had a gig.
0: Yeah. You and my, you and my dad were in Brooklyn uh, around the same time.
2: Where did you? I, you once mentioned that. Yeah. Two years ago.
0: Yeah. Where, where was that? I want to say Greenpoint. I want to say he lived. Greenpoint? But he, he moved. He you know He was born in Puerto Rico in, in forty one and then moved
2: dude when did he come to the states? Because the Puerto Rican when Ricans he was like in New the mid
0: fifties when it was like da 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 da
2: you know dude that was
0: no man the, the, the Puerto
2: Rican cats Puerto Rican people took a major racial hit during that period man. That was I remember man because I lived in those neighborhoods man. It was like uh
0: whew, yeah so what
2: Pop came out cool Pop came out Oh cool. yeah
0: yeah right? doing great Doing great. And I I, I love talking to him about just like the music he was hearing as a teenager. I mean, growing up in Brooklyn, like what what kind of role did music play in your life just listening? Well, we we came from
2: a very kind of really uncultured uh, situation. And uh, we didn't even have a, a record player at my house until I was 16. And then when we did, my dad, like, you know, the bullfight songs and uh, marches and uh, very few symphonic stuff. It was mostly pop. I grew up on pop radio. I grew up on, um, I grew up on AM radio, basically, R&B and, and rock and roll. Luckily, when I got to Juilliard, man, the Arnold Fish, the, one of the guys who developed the literature, materials, and music program, took to me. And he would assign me an orchestral record to listen to every week. I man, I'm telling you, I went in there green. Yeah, when I had no, I didn't know what else to do because it was either truck driver or school teacher. That was my options, man. You know, which was very interesting because at Manhattan School, Joe and I did a an online masterclass. Joe Alessia and I did an online masterclass. It turned out we both had the truck driver thing in the back of our heads. It was very
0: interesting. So you're like, no, those pay way too much. I'm going to be a, a trombone player. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, interesting too. My my career desire to be was you know those bull clown, the rodeo clowns man you know that they would jump into barrels yeah, yeah, really. I wanted I wanted to do that. Why? That was what I wanted. Why? 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 Because they were cats with a sense of humor, but they were Saint Bernards in disguise. Man, you know they, uh, they were there to save those bull riders. Man, that bottom line. But they were joking while they did it. That's how I played the trombone. They did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But but so so then I started playing. So when I started playing the bass trombone, the orchestras, they wanted me, you know. And um, I don't know why. But I had a good sound, I think, at that time. And and my rhythm was different than a lot of the orchestral guys' rhythm because I was raised on pop radio, man. I mm. laid it down. In fact, Miraculous Mandarin was one of my highlights at Juilliard, man. I remember playing that ba 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 and riding, I had a Volkswagen, it was 1967, I had a Beetle, and I remember driving down the West Side Highway after that performance saying, yeah, this is it,
0: you know? Feelings, you remember. This is
2: what I want to do, man. And I lucked out, man, I went up to Sikofsky's apartment on Fifth Avenue, audition for him, which was really a short audition, man, you heard me, I played the trombone, then we sat in bullshit for a while. And I played the American, that was my first city gig while I was at Juilliard, We play at Carnegie Hall all the time.
0: Was that when Juilliard was up in like where Manhattan School is now? I
2: was the last graduating class out of the old building. Man,
0: so you've been working in that building a long time.
2: I'm this 1962. I tell the kids that man, they can't they can't comprehend it because I'm older than their grandfather.
0: (laughs) Wow! (laughs) And some some of the rooms probably still look (laughs) the same, right?
2: Yeah, so this, I mean, they made some changes, but what really I love most is on rainy days, looking at the elevated train coming up from 137th Street to, uh, to 125th Street. And I love going that, back down into 116. There's something about the cookie clack, man, that on a rainy day that really takes me back to the early 60s.
1: Yeah, it has that almost I, film noir vibe to it, you know?
2: Totally, man. And, and I go to 125th Street. Man, I was so. <sighs> i was so insecure when my first year with julia again i couldn't get into anything and everybody was smarter than i and they were from international places and i'm from flatbush you know i wouldn't get off at 116th street uh i didn't feel like i belonged up there with the kids from Columbia. Wow. so i'd get off at 125th street and walk up yeah uh, it really it was a rough so, if you want to know why am I, why do I invent? Because I, I was always scrambling right from the beginning. You know. do, you,
0: do you feel like, do you feel like you've always kind of felt like an outsider in some ways? Yes, yes. I don't
2: know if I sent you this article, but uh, do you know Jacob Garchuk?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know the name,
2: Jacob Garchuk. They just did a major Jazz Times thing about him, and he mentioned Manhattan, and he mentioned I'm not going to mention the teachers he teaches a study with, one heavy guy from the jazz department, one from the heavy classical department. He said, but when he found me, he dug it because I saw the big picture. I was like an outsider to him. I treated him like I was an outsider. In other words, I didn't say, oh, you be flat or sharp. Or you, no. I said, no, man, you're losing me. Your overall scope is, and that's the way I go. You know, That's how I got, went about it with you guys. Were you there when they wrote a petition to get me out of Manus? I don't, you I don't that? recall that, no. You might have been after that, man. The first couple of years I was in Manus, the kids got together. And some now very successful. I won't mention their names either, man. But he's a not jazz. Music, he, but he's. He, what is he doing? Blah, blah blah blah. Didn't work, but yeah. And 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 the feeling was when I went to Manhattan School, they kind of brought me into the jazz department, even though I'm the only guy in the school teaches classical and jazz and contemporary. But
0: I mean, what what been- what's an ideal student for you? Because I mean. You, you, you your approach is, is totally unique and and what, who do you find you it know, works for? A the guy best who
2: best comes way? to me knows what a guy who comes to me knows what I do. Um so my ideal student I my ideal student is the one who I see growing at a pace he should be he or she should be growing. And I check up on him because I play duets with them first thing come in. So I know who's practicing, who's not practicing that's all I care about who's practicing, who's not practicing, who's making a genuine effort to be a lifer. And the assignments will come from there. You know,
1: you know Dave, you know what I find uh, teaching? We're, we've been talking a lot about this, Sebastian and myself. I find that um, it's not that, in my experience, it's not that kids aren't, you know, y- young students are say not kids. They're, it's not that they're not practicing, not but they don't, they, they don't, like you said, get out of the building. They don't they don't know what they should be striving to be.
2: One of the kids from Manis is taking three yeah, lessons yeah. from me. I don't know who he's stu- you know who yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about?
1: I made right. I made so, him do that by the way. I was like don't don't oh, just study oh, don't just study that. with me. You should definitely okay. study with someone else here too, you know.
2: Well, that thank you very yeah. much for that, man. That's that's really sweet. He um good player and I have a I have a guy like that. He's practicing 3-4 or hours a day, but I'm a fundamentals guy. Uh, I'll practice an hour or literally two fundamentals every day. Besides my musical, I'm practicing, man. I, I fucking love it. And I uh, I mean, I'm 78 now. I I, I love it,
0: man. It hasn't I go hasn't gone there. away. No,
2: I invent different things. I try different horns, like uh, you know, different bell thicknesses, mouthpieces. I'm nuts. If I turn this thing around, you see. And a rare mouth. He says, it keeps me interested, you know. And, and now what I'm doing is, you know, I, I do a lot of unaccompanied recitals. Yeah. I, I decided to do, um, I, I don't like going on the road and having to play at a festival with somebody else's piano player who doesn't know where I'm coming from. So I said, to hell with it. It happened actually a few years ago, quite by accident. I did a festival, a big festival, brass, low brass festival, and they assigned a piano player for me. And the woman was lovely and, and uh, that's yes, conscience, but she didn't look at my music i've been writing a lot she didn't look at my music finally at the dress rehearsal i begged her, i said look please it's not about you it's about the time constraints and all of that let me just go out there and so that's what i do now i have one on december 9th at barge music in new york
0: barge music is a very a good cool thing. spot
2: yeah and he's been mark has been using me there for eight years playing my own music so I think what I'm going to do now is I, I just wrote, I wrote a piece called Houdini's Lament that I played for the last couple of years. And now I just turned it into a piano duo for myself. I'm going to turn it into a concerto. And so I'm going to play that unaccompanied. I'm, it's about a 14 minute piece. I'm going to play a piece I just finished called Non Torpor. I'll play that for 14 minutes. I'll play another piece called The Last Judgment. From, I'll play it. Oh, I'm scared of shit about this, but I'm going to do it. I've never really played nonstop, nonstop. For 40, this is non-stop, no rest, 45 minutes. Exhausting. Yeah, well, it's exhausting. So what I've been doing is I've been searching small mouthpieces. I'm going back to one and a half G-style sizes.
1: Well, also also just just the arm, the arm being stationary holding the horn.
2: Dude, I've got five of those. I go back and forth.
1: No, the hand handrest things. Yeah,
2: those hand wrap things. Yeah, but you know what though, man. I mean, they, they're great. They hold up the horn, but they just put the pressure in different parts of your. Exactly. Mind. Yeah. And, you know, so, but it's it's a it, as long as I and I'll take it off. As long as I can keep everything. You know, I move around a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 what I'm finding from physical therapy. Those guys are telling me, man, it might look
0: whack, but you're doing the right yeah, thing yeah. because you're staying limber. Yeah, you're not getting stiff. Yeah. Not getting and, stiff. and like sometimes I you'll know. aim down. Sometimes like, and that's kind of a natural. I mean, I aim
2: down. I'll I'll switch over there. It's a natural thing I'm doing, but it just uh, kind of lucked out, man. I think that's a – I I know you're not asking me these questions. I no, it's fine. I'm so I'm trying to get as much into. No, this is, this is what we want.
1: This is great. All right, uh, but I my
2: whole career I think was based on gut level instinctual. Decisions. I mean, I have forethought and a lot of stuff, man. But I knew not to tell anybody what I was doing. My friends knew what I was doing. I knew that there was no need for my orchestral leaders to know that I was playing in the hippest jazz bands in town, and there was no need for the jazz guys to know I was playing the orchestral stuff, and there was no need for my writers in the recording scene to know that people, uh, highfalutin composers, were writing for me because that would just make them envious. I kept it all. Do you think
0: I try to tell them? Like, do you think they'd like kind of ta- typecast you in a certain way? If-
2: dude, dude, baby. I mean, um, one of the problem, one of the reasons I think for my longevity on, and you know, I'm playing solo concerts. I'm playing five solo concerts in New York between now and uh, end of January. I've been doing this for fifty years here, man. So to to do that, the typecasting is a dual edged sword. You get typecast. You make maybe more money in the scene, but you'll call it, but you'll spoil other scenes for yourself. Non-typecast when nobody knows what the hell you, to pigeonhole you. You make less money, but you have more fun. That you, you know what I'm saying. So, so I was playing like mostly Mozart for twenty twenty five years, St. Luke's, until I quit, got fired, and, and all these other groups. I haven't played in orchestras now for a couple of years, though. But uh, I played with Lincoln Center Chamber Society which is a heavy gig for about 20, 25 years. And I think playing in jazz bands was a direct, I hate that word, jazz band class, was the most direct reason for my success in chamber music. Uh, one of the things in school, talking about teaching, the cats don't know how to go across the bar line. Mm. They're not being taught to float. They're not being taught about melisma. They're not being taught about musical period styles are vital to understand. String players are taught that. Piano players are taught that. Uh, woodwind players probably get some of that. But our guys are not
1: getting it. Why, why not? And, what, uh, what's... Why not?
2: I, I think there's too much emphasis on orchestral lecture, And I think there's too much emphasis on um, it's really not valuable to me. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing where I think it's the most valuable. And so when I got to these chamber music groups, man, um and the biggest oh, <laughs> oh shit. I'm so sorry. I have um I was playing in a, in a band named the Gil Evans band. Yeah, of course. Of guys. All right. So I so I was in Gil Evans band for about 5 years. We had a very important gig to play uh in, at Perugia in Perugia Jazz. festival so Sting was going to be there and stuff like that. He was going to sing. And I got called to play Listois de Soldat at Santa Fe Chamber. What do they call that? Santa Fe Chamber Festival or something like that. This is, I'm going way to hell back now. I agonized over that decision for six months. I opted to do Santa Fe. So when they heard me playing Listoire, that opened up the whole chamber thing. Because Listoire and Poulon Trio are basically our inns to major festivals. I'm sure there's other repertoire now, you know. So that opened up my chamber music. I I was kind of slick. I was pretty slick. I mentioned that to somebody. Um, we, we were playing at the Caramore Festival about 10 years ago. Dick Clark. Richard yeah. Clark. You guys know who Richard I know, Clark is? I know Dick. Dick? Yeah. Right. So Dick Clark. All right, so we're sitting around bullshit, and and we're talking about one of the two of the guys who were really running out of New York who were doing multiple multi genre things. And they said, geez, you know, Dick um, uh, um, I'm real, just realizing now how slick I must have been he says, you're just realizing now how <laughs> slick you must have been <laughs> <laughs> I, I said yeah but I can't understand how come I didn't get run out of town he says but you never lied
0: to us mm. uh, that's what I was about to ask to, because like you're... don't
2: lie to the cats let the cats know what you're doing don't have to volunteer the information, but if somebody's talking to you, man, you do not, you want to lie to somebody, lie to management. That's what I hate about all these wise guys, man, always putting the cats down, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. Put down the people in charge. Don't put down the cats. You know, that, that was my philosophy. Probably up until around, probably changed when I was around 55, 60. Then my, my whole, then I really, after Gil Evans' band, man, I, mean, I couldn't come back to New York and just fit into the cog anymore. I think that's when I let my orchestral plane slide when I was around for no the when I was in my upper 50s, because I had an idea that I really wanted to go out on my own. Luckily, I did, because the studio, when the studio scene went away, I was doing that, you know, I didn't. Oh, so, man, so I mean so, i are mean, good. No, I, 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 I hate I, to make a bad
0: impression, man. Oh, I really don't no, no, not at all. Is, this is the <laughs> Dave Taylor, <laughs> Taylor <laughs> experience. <laughs> this is what I right, right, what I want to share all with I, the world. I, <laughs> <all right>. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, I want to ask you, Dave, like, because yeah. I mean, and you kind of touched on it. It's like you've cultivated such a career where you're not like in these institutions where you're just like constantly being hired by the same thing. It's like you're cultivating so many different work relationships and different genres of music. I mean, and surely you can't keep everybody happy all the time. Like you're going to have to say, no, oh, you may have no. to burn so some bridges, but how do you, how thing. do you I keep that? Yeah. How do you keep that going? How do I keep what going? How do you keep the relationships going when you're trying to do so many different things?
2: I don't worry about it. I blow a lot of relationships, man. Uh, when I was younger, when I was younger you know I mean it it wasn't I I, I was tied up with my family luckily I married a woman who was totally supportive for these last
0: 50 the best
2: four years man it's just spectacular I lost all my gigs when I was in my mid 20s really I had my own Broadway show when I was at Julia and all that stuff and somehow I lost all my gigs uh, several years later and I think it was a combination of I changed my whole technique up when I was around 24-25 I reinvented my articulation because I want them to have a faster articulation to be able to be like, which applies to everything really. But uh, so I and I might have been too public. I don't hide what I do, so I might have sounded like crap for, for a minute there, and and I might have been very arrogant, which I was. Uh, she went back to work, so I would I could stay home and practice, man. She said, "No, I want you you stay home and practice. So you don't have to kiss any contractors' butts." Amazing. You know? How, how do you find
1: that?
2: Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, uh, <laughs> and then I, I started working again, and then it went up. But every 10 years or so, because of my my personality, I, I have to reinvent myself.
0: Really? Did she? Did she oh, yeah. yeah. You think you're just too much for some people?
2: No, not too much. Maybe I'm too stupid. I, <laughs> you know, it's just whatever it is, man. You know, whatever it is, I had to come back with something else uh since bill clinton's administration i've been financially pretty successful but there were times when i took major dips and uh
0: yeah when when as you put it like sometimes there's like the the phone's not ringing so it's like that that's when you you invest in yourself right
2: well yeah and and luckily even when the phone was ringing i'd come home at night and practice so i I really never had a warm up, although I make a big point of warming up that. But I, but I never—I mean, I would stop playing one, two o'clock in the morning, and get up at nine o'clock and go sit in the studio. But I was practicing every night, developing repertoire. But it was a full time commitment, and um, it is a full time—it's still a full time commitment, man. Like I got a rehearsal today. If I, I don't, I'm a twenty four seven guy, you know.
0: So you're saying and it's yeah. still—it ne- never gets old for you. You're still loving it. And you, you've always yeah. had this energy about you, which is just infectious when you're, when you're in the room. And so, like, would you say that the single factor that has kept you this joyful about what you do is just that, the variety and the creativity?
2: I just love blowing air through a tube.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Me too, man. I get that.
1: Yeah. That's all. Making I, sound. And that's
2: the bottom line of my enjoyment, man. And I concentrate on when I'm practicing uh, even when I'm practicing music, I concentrate on diaphragm and articulation. I believe articulation is the key to interpretation and and, and that's another reason I, I think some of our lower breast kids across the across the country uh, they're not understanding the variety that can be gotten from articulation and and I kind of when I was a when I was a boy, when I was in school, man, I don't think we spent more than twenty, thirty percent on excerpts. We spent that much. Uh, our teachers didn't, you know. I mean, Bud Herschel is a circus player, you know what I mean. So it's like uh, uh, I, I think there was, more, you know, man, one of the best sections I ever played in was um, and go back to mouthpieces. I never felt I needed a bigger mouthpiece until I was playing. At Kimball Center with the Boston Symphony, we were playing to Loyland I said, oh, God damn it, I wish I had a bigger mouthpiece. That was the only time I wish I had a bigger
0: mouthpiece. How many, how many mouthpieces do you own, Dave?
2: Oh, hundred and some odd. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, maybe more. You know, the whole story about um, Vacchiano from the Philharmonic, man, he had a barrel of mouthpieces. <laughs> and whenever some repertoire came up, man, he'd just carve out what he had to do. I don't tell that to the students
1: because uh, they have to have their own fish you, to fry, man. You know, uh, I studied with Don Harwood and Harwood, he never talked about equipment, but he was an equipment junkie and junkie. huge junkie. Because
2: I used to hang out with him giving him
1: my lead. Oh, yeah. So he wouldn't mention it at all. And he always had this black, black bag that he'd come to lessons. It's the only thing he'd bring to a lesson wouldn't bring a horn, nothing. And I always thought it was like a lunch bag or something. And then one day, like my junior year, I said something like, yeah, I'm, I am i don't know if this mouthpiece is for me anymore. And he's like, well, hold on. And he turns his bag over and it's like 20 mouthpieces. So I'm yeah. like...
2: I, I don't think I play more than six now. I have two setups. One setup, I play two... I have two and a half setups. One setup, I... Uh, I play three on three or four, and and one setup. I just play two
0: on. What what is it about bass bonus and equipment? Is it just the extra well, valve?
2: Because, uh, no, man, it's because um, our range is compatible almost with your range. Plus, we got all of that crap below the spaghetti.
1: Below the spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm stealing that you know what one. I mean,
2: man? Yeah, no, I mean, like, if I'm going to, like yesterday, I played with the Mingus Big Band, and uh, I was using a mouthpiece that I knew would cut and give me Mm -hmm. great low range, and I could tap up there if I had to, but what I'm playing on um, my unaccompanied recitals, and I know I have a tune that I wrote, which I shouldn't have written above the middle, the whole thing up there, I switch over to that smaller backbone. Griego makes six or eight mouthpieces for me. Kristen Griego from Mexico. I met him when I worked for Edwards. And uh, basically, all my backboards are the same. I have a backboard side. I know it's a little bigger. I like 317. And a lot of kids, a lot of guys like 309, 310, 312. I like 317 with a little more resistance in the cup than the throat. Big backboard. And so the variations of my mouthpieces are basically cups. Not, really, the backboards.
0: Do you ever do you ever get like like overwhelmed with thinking about equipment choices? Where it's just like I could go down a million different ways right now, and I can't make up my mind. Oh, well, that
2: that but that that when um, I played an instrument called the Holton for about twenty five years, and it really wasn't popular in New York, but I kind of loved it, and it worked for me. And so I played the same setup for about twenty five years. I played the Bach one and a half G board out, Mr. Schumann. There was a guy, hey, Nick, John Coffey. Oh, yeah, name John yeah. yeah. All right, so Coffee had a guy. So Mr. Schumann took me to Parduba and Sons, that guy named Parduba he used to do mouthpieces repairs. And, and Mr. Schumann had a coffee uh, tr- uh, mouthpiece, which is similar to the one G, but it was bored out. And I remember going there, Mr. Schumann and Mr. Parduba, they were going like that by eye, man. And I played that mouthpiece for about 25 years. But then it switched over to recording. Switched over from uh, analog to digital, and I felt my sound was too bright. Mm. And uh, it was a bright. It was a. I like bright. Bright is not a negative word. Uh, bright is sunshine to me. But, but you have to remember that was an era also where where cats were playing without lead pipes. If you can imagine mm. that, and I, I actually got into vehement arguments with some of these guys. I said, hey, uh, mofo, whatever that word means. Hey, uh, we have a responsibility here. You know what I mean? I'm talking about the biggest big shots who were doing that. I would talk to them about, hey, look, man, this kind of wacky behavior, man, not good for the youngsters, you know? Uh, but So I never got involved with that. But then Steve Shires called me up. I was looking for a bell. Look, I'm looking for bells because, again, digital made things brighter in the studios. And uh, I heard Osmond Brash. You ever heard about Osman yeah, Brash? of Osmond Brash? Osmond Brass is where
1: they were. Right. Up in Boston, So right? I called him up.
2: Yep. And, and Steve was up there. And uh, he sent me these bells. And he was excited about it. And he called me up. Uh, well, what do you think, man? He didn't say man. He doesn't talk that way. What do you think, Dave? I said, well, Steve, look at me. I, I don't know what people are telling you, but these bells are dead. They're not happening. I think based on my subjective truth, uh, when he went to Edwards, because there was no Edwards, he and Gary Green were Edwards. They started Edwards. They brought me in, not because of whatever I did, I think because they knew I wouldn't lie to them about what I was feeling subjectively. So when when I got to the, when, when they started developing the Edwards and I started flying out there and going back and forth uh steve sent me a, a an inline horn at that time uh, inline wasn't what it is now i said steve can I work with you man uh, i'm like this he says don't worry about it i'll make you a dependent horn i'll do whatever you need i'll do it. so i still play on the model i mean a, a, another generation of, of the model that, that steven uh designed but the bells were a problem so i i was an equipment junkie i have to admit um getting that Edwards thing off the ground for me. You ever? You never
0: miss like simpler times of like the same mouthpiece for 25 years and a horn you can't dude, modulate too much?
2: Well, no, no, it's a funny thing, man. Again, I, when I got to 40, 45, you, you have to remember, man. I mean, uh, oh, forgive me for this, man. Uh, I, I was very, I was playing in only the best orchestras in New York and only the best jazz bands. When I say only, you know yeah. what I mean. and, and only the best rock groups in the first called jingle stuff
1: you were the you were Uh, the guy
2: yeah i i kind of oh shit i hate to talk in those terms but i lucked out i will for you you were the guy (laughs) uh, I, i lucked out and um i was never satisfied because the guys i was running with i was running with randy and michael brecker and the oh guys, yeah who those guys are john thaddis was my roommate with that jones's band who Solaf and i were buddies but it goes on and on and on and on man those guys had style because i started so late i didn't have style i felt my style was clarity and always being heard and being in time and cats can build the reason I became well-known in the studios is because uh, it came about that I was on a public television show with Thad Jones and Mel Lewis simultaneous to playing with Boulez in the Philharmonic. So it became real obvious to people that I could go all those, the protractor. So within after that TV show came down, I remember it was when Leonard Bernstein's Candide was on Broadway. I didn't last long on Broadway, man. I, was, I couldn't handle, the, it's an honorable job, I know that, but it, I just couldn't handle repetition. But when that show was on Broadway, I knew because a couple of my friends were playing it, my recording thing jumped from maybe one or two sessions a week to 10 to 20 a week. And that was the direct passing of that Thad Jones, Mel Lewis Philharmonic. Uh, uh, what,
0: what, what, that's what I said What did you learn the most from Thad Jones?
2: Well, I'll give you a for instance, man. Uh, by playing in the regular uh, big bands in New York, I thought my time was just hunky dory. But Thad Jones was the first band I played in for any length that was that had developed its own idiosyncratic. I mean, personality.
1: It, it yeah, it's a tight band. That that was a tight band.
2: Tight band, but it's a different. It's a different. Time frame, and I remember one instance in um, that's I left crying, man. We were in Barcelona, Barcelona, uh-huh. you know, we were in <laughs> Barcelona, and we were playing at some museum or something like that. And we were playing a tune called Willow Weep for Me, it was written by bob Brookmeyer, and it was a ballad just four four time. Uh, Jimmy Nepper, and it was just after I had joined the band, Jimmy Nepper was playing Willow Weep for Me, and I couldn't find the beat. And that's how a great chamber music. The this, 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 this great chamber music is elastic. Perhaps great conductors doing romantic mu- uh, music and specialists can get that elasticity. The great ones from uh, from an orchestra. and I love I, whenever Gergiev's in town. Man, uh, I check that cat out. His Tchaikovsky, man.
0: Woo! So, yeah. like what you're describing, it, it sounds like. I mean, to me, I think of groove and and that's something that i feel like is so natural in everything you do that is and so important to you like do you, is that when you first oh, started to important. really, really internalize yeah.
2: that don't know don't know those answers but it was around that time that i realized there's no such thing as positive and negative that was around that time and maybe if i wasn't successful i was would... <laughs> you know now i feel as if the decisions i've made all made sense. Even the ones where I quit groups. Uh, I fail a lot. You know that I fail, man. I just fall on my ass a lot. Uh, there was a period of time when I would repeat solos if I didn't like the way I played them. But then I started playing in front of two thousand people, and you can't mess around like that when you're playing in front of two thousand people, man. You know, you just have to <laughs> do it. But 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 there were times that I would just stop. All right, cats. Let's do this again. I get lost. There was a period of time, man. Oh man, shit! There was a period of time when um, I was failing so much. I needed encouragement from wherever I could get it. Mm. Now, just recently, man, uh, my old lady decided we're going to have the apartment painted. This is after about eighteen years we're living in. We always had touch-up jobs, we never had the whole joint. And I really didn't. I bemoaned it because we had to pull all the
1: damn furniture off the wall. How long have you been in that we place? We had to get all the tchotchkes off the goddamn. Show. We're about. We're about, about we're about to do that. About eighteen. We're about to do that. Yeah.
2: Man, what a dr- man, what a. Dr- <laughs> we agonize, fought, screamed. We 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 <laughs> we get vocal with each other when we have these incidents. You know. So uh, anyway, so she. Oh no, you're taking all the CDs out of that cabinet when we got... And I hated it, but here's what I found, and I had forgot it after 18 years. Wait a minute. Let me find it. It might not be right in the right... Well, oh, I'll just I'll cut that out. Hey, David, hey, this is JJ Johnson. Oh. I've been Indiana, and uh, to get a minute, uh, I'd like to rap with you about something. Um, at, at any rate, these things Man, go on and on. that's so cool. JJ left a bunch of messages. We became kind of...
1: Not wow
2: that's you know, amazing and he would tell me uh he loved i i, I did a record with him and, and i gave him some of my cds and he would tell me how great I, he thought it's not how I that's mean, ego shit don't give me, uh, me but i remember man there were a couple of times i was standing up in front of an orchestra standing up in front of the band and i totally failed i ran to that goddamn answering machine man and just say hey david this is jj johnson mm-hmm. Man, your perform My suggestion to everybody is: you're never too big, man. To I don't care who you are, man. You need somebody to tell you, okay, man. You're all right. Mm-hmm. You're all right. You're okay. Uh, that's what I tell my kids in school: go out and fail. God damn it! Go out. I- I'm-, I'm cursing a little bit. I- oh, you're podcast, fine. But- you're fine. Uh, all right. Uh, go out and fail, and come back, and I'll pick you up. I'll be your safe harbor. I want you to fail. The beauty of my career is I'm kind of well-known, but I'm not well-known like the real well-known trombone player guys are, you know, our icons. I'm cool with that because I can fail as much as I want. A lot of those guys can't fail so much. Mm. They have images that they have to maintain and oh wow i'm not being derogatory to anybody please understand that I'm, I'm talking in terms of a group thing you know i can fail as much as i want it doesn't matter you don't
0: feel pressure you know, to maintain an image
2: you know it's funny I, I organized a trio i don't know if you're familiar with his elias Feingersh. you know that name a tenor trombone player travels around the world Doing 100, 100, kind of trombone player, putting on his own shows. Anyway, so I started a trio with him and a trumpet player named Sergei Nakariakov. Oh, the yeah. oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. All right. So we call ourselves uh, Kofkino. We haven't gotten together yet because between they can't get visas and the COVID thing. And uh, we had this trio for, for two years <laughs> and we haven't seen each other. You know what I mean? But Sergei came up with the name Kofkino. Kofkino was German for mind dreams. And dreams, and we'll get it going somewhere. They asked Sergey, uh, the kids, so you don't get nervous anymore, huh? When you're playing the trumpet. Mm-hmm. He says, man, I get more. He doesn't say, man, he said, man. He said no. He said, now that everybody has expectations for mm-hmm. me, I get even more nervous. Mm-hmm. That honesty, man. Yeah. Do you still get that- nervous? Oh, do I? Oh, sure, man.
1: It's sure. re- reassuring to hear because you 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 present so well. Like,
2: oh no, that's oh man. I mean, uh, well, you have to remember I practice part part of the thing that helped me up for a long time, man. When I started playing recitals, I left it all in the practice room. You know, and by the time I got out there, I was too tired to play. Now I'm kind of relaxed behind it. Ha- have you ever? You have have
0: see- you ever? Oh, sorry.
2: Yeah, man. Good.
0: Have Have you ever? Because I, I enjoy your stage presence. Is that something that's just always been natural, or was it ever something you actually like thought about?
2: Well, uh, I did think about it at the beginning. Uh, the first time I played solo, literally, uh, concerto was at Tully Hall. Alan Hobanus wrote a piece, Armenian composer. I just read that. I Wr- want to hear that. R- r- yeah. You know, I recorded the whole thing with the New York Chamber Symphony. I'll tell you that story, but I never put it out. I, I might put it out now. Oh, no. I did this, my first record, actually at the church, on Flatbush and Church Avenue, one of the oldest churches in there. All right, so I played in the Tully Hall. New York, at that time, you know, New York Times was there. The New York Star Ledger was there. Uh, Post was there, blah, blah, blah. All they gave me glowing reviews, man. The, the uh, Times said, oh, Mr. Taylor plays superbly. But watching him can make you seasick. You know.
0: That kind of, <laughs> <laughs> so for about
2: right. So for about a year or so after that, I tried sitting down in front of orchestras and stuff. I just couldn't friggin' do it, man. And so I said, you know what? This is who I am. This is this is who I am, and this
0: is so who you've I always am. been. And, 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 yeah, I've with been your body. doing that. Yeah, right, man. I mean, uh, maybe
2: it's a way to uh, cover up my nervous. I don't even know. Uh, you know, maybe it's that somebody will say, "Oh, you know, when you turn towards a person in the audience, the sound all of a sudden opens up, and then it goes."
0: Mm-hmm. Away. I said, "Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do." You know, well, I mean, it, it's about, an ex- download, expressive you know? form as well. I mean, it's movement, it's dance. You're you're showing your musicality I'm and phrases, and
2: yeah, I'm dancing. I guess I don't know. Um, I tried to stop. That's all I'm going to try to tell you. And that at that point, I, I was conscious. What I am conscious of now is I don't mind talking to the audience. I kind of enjoy talking to the audience and um, explain to them what I'm doing. They like it, even to the yeah, you know, they love it.
1: I uh, they actually love I it. introduced your stuff, like a couple of videos of you, to my physical therapist because he he's. <laughs> He said, well, no, not, not, not the reason you think not for the reason you think he, 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 um, his thing is he studied clarinet at university of Michigan for his undergrad. And he also is a dancer and so like a modern dancer. And so his idea, like what he wants, wanted to do and wants to do, um, is to like mesh those two things together and have like, like self choreography and playing. And, like, he showed me some of his videos, and I was like, okay, you know who you need to see is Dave Taylor. And he was uh, he was that's funny. way into it. He loved it.
2: Uh, uh, what was his name, man? Because I'm playing with two dance groups. On December 11th, this Houdini piece I wrote is 14 minutes. Uh, Eric Hawkins Dance Company is choreographed where they're going to dance around me. And so I'll okay. be part of that. Uh,
1: dance. I'm going to hit you up for, the, for like, uh, the – the details again, so I can send it, like like uh, the website or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you. I'll that. send it to him. Is
2: it- that one is going to be at St. Mark's Church on December 11th? Okay, I'll tell him. Yeah, he's December 9th is on a company recital at bars music. Barge, yeah, uh, but I'm also playing with a dance company called the Gal Perry Dance Company. That's uh, in June, and for that one, I'll be playing Mahler and Schubert. I got involved with these intellectuals. Who liked the way I play Schubert. And they, in fact, recommended pieces. My friend Joseph Horowitz uh, writes books and books and books and well reputed. At any anyway, rate, they went around and they, he got me involved, Joe, with this group called the Post Classical Ensemble. They play at Kennedy Center and National Gallery and all that. And they rearranged Mala Four Scherzo. There's no trombones in Malafort.
1: Yeah, of course. So,
2: Mala Four Scherzo, that's a small one. So, they made a bass trombone solo out of Model 4. And uh, I did it there. And I also played some songs of the Wayfarer. And the cats dug so hard the way I played songs of the Wayfarer that they incorporated with some of the songs I played of Schubert. And I sing some Schubert. I sound like Tom Waits on a bed. <laughs> I <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah. So I've lied somewhere. And, um, and I'm going to be doing a whole set with this dance company a couple of times. Ever... I, I might be doing it in Brevard. I, I know I'm playing in Brevard. You know Brevard. I went to Brevard album. twice. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Oh yeah, I'm playing. I'm playing Daniel Schneider's concerto there, and I think I'm. I might be playing with this great young singer named Sydney Outlaw.
1: Oh yeah, I I know who that is. Yeah.
2: I hung out with Sydney a couple of nights ago. Man, great cat. He might have been. You got to Juilliard, right? What were your years at Juilliard?
1: I was there '02 through '06.
2: He was there after you, I think. A little after you. Young cat. How old are you,
0: dude? I'm 38, almost 39. Oh, man. Young pup.
2: The- are you too, Vera?
0: Yeah, I'm 39. I have so much wisdom to share with Nick. Love you both.
1: We can't do anything about it. I'm, twice, <laughs> I'm,
2: twice, I'm <laughs> twice as old as you dudes, man.
0: And you knew me I when you, I, I was 20, I hung out, 24. I hung
2: out with cats your age because... Um, A lot of my guys they're drinking beer on their lazy boy. I have nothing against that, but your cats are still out there
0: hitting it. Have you ever? I mean, just hearing you talk about your schedule and you know when I was like when you were my chamber coach and I had lessons with you, I mean, you're always you're always doing something. But like, have you ever considered having like a? Have you ever needed like a no a personal assistant to like keep you organized? Uh, I try.
2: I I tried all of that. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm not. You know, I'm not like what's his name, Christian Lindbergh and those guys where they have managers and they're really those are the big shots, man. Uh, no manager wants to get involved with me, man. You know, you know, like I said to you before. I mean, I kind of like being under the radar. It's just more fun mm. and more creative, mm. you know. And when I have to make excuses for myself. I think of all those fantastic jazz musicians from the twenties to the forties who had to go to Europe. Nobody even wanted to know their fifties. They're still doing it, sixties. Nobody even wanted to know them here. When you think about the composers, man, who fifty hundred years after they died, they're oh, what the hell is that guy doing? That. I, I kinda am I'm, I'm loving the under the radar trip. I have enough money. I'm not rich. I have everything I want, man. I have a beautiful old lady, great kids, great grandchildren.
0: Uh, How are your kids doing?
2: My son was just on that.
0: Oh, I thought you'd
2: never ask. My son is the superintendent of the school system in Union, New Jersey, but he's getting national attention now because of his programs there. My daughter is an educator. Well, my whole family is educated. My wife was a teacher. My daughter teaches at the young woman's industrial uh, i forget the exact name but it's a very heavy all-girls school up in harlem and they bring in women like macron's wife and uh jill honey uh, jill biden's wife yeah. jill Biden. so mm-hmm. she coordinates all that they're doing very well um yeah you know the main the main thing you want to do as a parent is make them independent get them the hell out of the house you know like it's more fun when they're gone. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. So I, I, I stay very busy. I'm projecting into uh, and uh, booking into 2024. And if I'm dead, fuck them. You know that. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you hey, Nick. Hey, I Nick's tell a- that to the kids. Sometimes they love it. They laugh.
0: Should, should I have a whole host of rapid-fire yeah, questions. Yeah, let's get into it. All right, go uh, ahead, rapid-fire. That, that, that I can't, can't wait go to ahead. hear Dave answer. All right. All right, man, but hey, but be kind. Oh, I'm always kind. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. This is, go this go is the question we always ask all of our guests. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self?
2: What I've done. I, I have no regrets. I, have no, I, I did it the right way. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did it the right way, man. Could you imagine? A kid who, who nobody graduated from high school and uh, went to fucking Juilliard, man, and uh, he negotiated out of that. He, he he makes fun of Pierre Boulez, and Pierre Boulez laughs with him. He tells Pierre Boulez, while he's playing the concerto for orchestra in the Philharmonic way, helps he, he, Boulez somehow got my name, and he called me to uh, play in his small group at Cooper Union. There's, yeah, Cooper Union is a small theater downtown, and before I had any aspirations for the lot, he had me in a group, a guy named Brooks Tillotson, a couple of strings. We were playing Harrison Burt, Whistle. So Bulez knew me. When I when we went up to um, so when I, when my when Schumann died, they brought in Keith Brown and Alan Ostrand. And Alan Ostrand was my teacher. He brought me right to the philharmonic and we were playing a concerto for orchestra. Oh Mr. Taylor, are you playing E flat or and I said, No, my show, well, I'm playing you know, playing the right note. He shut up. then just before the intermission man did i did the same crap man oh mr taylor you know so i we bumped into bump into each other on the way out and we just look at each other and we're laughing our asses (laughs) off. one time i was playing a small concert uh they used to have rug concerts they're bringing these contemporary groups and i i thought he was laughing for the wrong reason at one of these composers and i just went right up to him i says hey look that's not cool what you're doing, man. And I thought he'd get, and I said it almost like that. He didn't hold it against me, didn't, nothing. He just, yeah. So I don't think I, can you imagine I recorded with Duke Ellington, man? Uh, how can I say I did anything? Uh,
0: I mean, going over that, your, your discography, I just, it's just, I mean, you have dude, to be so proud you, of the I can't, am, done, right?
2: I can't, I'm not, pr- yeah, of course, I'm proud of him. I can't imagine it.
0: Dude, what do you remember I, from that experience with Duke Ellington?
2: Being numb and Julian Priester having to hit me every now and then. <laughs> All right, play. I was sitting next to Harry. I was 24 or 5 sitting next to Harry Carney and Cootie Williams. Mm-hmm. Duke Ellington was dancing around the group.
0: And he held a super high standard with his musicians, right? I would
2: imagine so. I mean... Uh, I think, you know what, man? Uh, I think innovative. I tell this line to the cats, man. Uh, Auguste Rodin, you know, the thinker, yep. the, the sculptor. He says, there's no such thing as beautiful line. And he's a sculptor. No such thing as beautiful form. No such thing as beautiful color. There's only one beauty. The beauty of truth revealing itself. I might have said that to you even there. I might a have done one. that. It's a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. And, and let me tell you. Innovative people recognize that more than they do is to see slightly sharp or flat. They recognize when there's a guy spiritually trying to get into the music, trying to create, listening. I think that's what fundamentals are about. If you if you have great fundamentals, it's easier to climb into the sound around you. It's easier. One fundamental, if you have a solid set of fundamentals, all it is is clicking... The tuner of a radio, all these kids don't even know what a tuner is, but clicking the tuner of a radio or, or a protractor, you know, from geometry, a protractor, you just notch it over. Style, that's all styles are. If you have an open mind with a solid technique, you can just move across. And uh, you have to have an open mind. Dudes, I was walking with Gil Evans, and they threw me out of a restaurant in... In Venice, um, <laughs> it was it was at, it was at Gil Evans' son Miles Evans' twenty first birthday. I didn't like the English promoter of the group, right? He somehow walked past my table and accidentally knocked over a glass of water, happened to hit me on my pants. So I kind of a little later walked over and accidentally knocked over a glass of water right you got the picture at one point i just picked up a pitcher of water and flung it up again it flung it and the waiters got pissed because there were frescoes in the restaurant in Venice. so the cats thought it was good for me to get out real quick so as i'm leaving the restaurant Gil evans he was bored too Gil Evans yells out, Tucker, that was my nickname in the band, Tucker, wait for me. And we were walking through Venice together that night. Here's what he said to me, man, and this is what you got to teach the students. All of us have to teach the students. He says, Duke Ellington once told me, don't forget, man, it's fucking Gil Evans talking to me, uh, Duke Ellington once told me, if you keep yourself open, you never know who will come along and pull your coat left. Hmm. And that's what innovators want leave yourself open so you can recognize the openness of this dancer came by last night because we're going to do this thing together and we're looking at stuff she ran by me this native american fellow just won pull pulitzer surprise, musician composer and she says oh, i don't know i don't hear this i said baby uh, listen to this a few times this is this has happened. So, so you have to leave yourself open and you have to have the chops that you can vary your technique and your sound. And, you know, like with articulation, man. It's just not McConnell, Tenuto, eh, Legato. You You have to have your articulation to the point where if you want to go like this, your tongue still knows exactly where to go. That's my whole trip, you know. And, uh, no, man. I mean, at this point, I can't tell what an 18 year old I would have done differently. Maybe so, yeah, you wouldn't, old, you, you know, tell
0: man, you, you know? tell yourself to just like keep doing it, enjoy the ride kind of thing.
2: <sighs> it's unbelievable to me, man. It, it, it's, um,
0: and one, and one thing, talk, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, truth revealing itself and the way, and this is the way you perform it. And, and I've, I've said this to many I people. I hope to perform. No, no, no. I hope to be there. You're not always there, you know? Yeah, of course, of course. But like, in my experiences hearing you, and I've gotten to hear you play a lot of solo recitals and a lot of performances. And this is literally the best compliment I can give someone. And, and I've told this, I probably have told this to you at some point, And I've told this to, to many people. It's like, Dave Taylor is the only trombonist that when I listen to him, I don't think about the trombone at all.
2: Wow. Yeah, I've heard that before. I don't know if that's a good thing.
1: I think that's <laughs> no. a very good thing. Like, think about all
0: the baggage and rules money. I have There's more head.
1: money in being a good trombone player.
2: <laughs> you know? No, no it, it's funny. I said I, Somebody once said to Lusol, if I was there, you know, Lusol the a trombone, yeah. um, man, you sound great. And he said to that person without batting an eye because he knows from experience, please don't say that. I'll never work if you keep saying that. You know, it's it, there's, a, there's ways to isolate people. That I understand. Take <laughs> the compliment, David. I love you. No, I love you. No, I. I just
0: want to
2: let you know, business is business,
0: brother. You take me away in the music. <laughs> you take me away in the music is what I'm trying to say. So no, you, I, mean, I, uh,
2: I, I love that. I love that, man, because that's who I gear for. I play in front of people. I don't play in front of trombone players, basically. You know, so.
0: So yeah, you you've I mean, definitely set a record for the longest answer to a rapid fire question. In podcast <laughs> yeah. Street, so I was just good thinking
2: that. No, I, I said
0: maybe get laid more. Right, <laughs> yeah. Take care of your teeth.
2: Hey, wait, wait. well, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: I remember <laughs> you told me that once. I brush your teeth, man. Yeah. That's, okay. That's expensive. Go ahead. Next question. Okay. After.
0: So this is this is going to be a, probably a very hard one to answer, but. Is there, is, yeah. there, is there a most profound or memorable musical experience that you're most proud of that stands out?
2: Well, as, as I told you, um, I, I can't answer that question, but I will answer Miraculous Mandarin. Really? When I was a young man, that was the right excerpt at the right time. Hmm. And there was one other thing. There was a fellow named Phil Jameson, who was the best trombone player at Juilliard. He became professor at Georgia. Stan right, Rice, yeah, yeah, yeah. All these guys started, right. Phil Jameson and this guy, Bob Moses, clarinet player, best clarinet player at the school at the time. Don't forget, I was a nobody. I hadn't, couldn't get arrested in the school. Alfred Wallenstein came and conducted uh, Don Giovanni. And uh, these two cats came backstage. Now, they, don't, they didn't know me. They were big shots. And he said, Dave, do you realize you're doing something we haven't heard on that instrument before? I could cry. Wow. These little things, these little things, man. That's the little things, man. Or hearing a colleague, I won't mention his name. uh, the, 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 The Grammy Awards, you know those people, the Grammy Awards? No, I've never um, heard of the Grammys. Yeah, what right. is that? Tell right, me about so I'm it. A, I'm, I'm like on 14. I don't know. Somewhere between 14 and 18 Grammy Awards. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah, know how many. No that's, house, a big deal. Know. no, that's a big deal. But I don't know what they are. But I looked it up once.
0: Um, so the, the, the
2: Grammy Award organization, they give out awards for the most valuable player. And if, you, and, and if you get it five times like in a row, they don't want to give it to you anymore. So they put you in what they call their Hall of Fame. So I'm sitting next to a colleague. We both had four of these awards. Before. It wasn't my instrument, and they called my name, but they didn't call his name. And and the way he went, Ugh. that let me know that uh, you have to value everything. You know, and we're not talking about family now. We're not talking about. I'm just talking straight ahead. My wife knows that. There's no way she can curtail my playing because if she did it, it wouldn't work. You know, she knew I was there. I My first date with her, man, I took it to hear Stravinsky Octet, And she dug it. I said, all right. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring it, baby. Yeah. Bring him on, man. Bring him on. But I did start traveling. My sister-in-law, um, when I was 65, she made me, she said, now look, get out of the house. You have to get out. You know, I was proud. So I started traveling. went to Africa for a month. And then we went to India several times. We went to Myanmar, uh, Machu, Machu I mean, we, I, I've been, besides working in Asia and stuff like I started taking about a month down. But this changed during COVID, of course. All right. So we haven't been on one of those in a long time.
1: Yeah. Ne- right.
0: Next question for you there's a billboard that everyone in the world can see, and you can write whatever you want on it. What would you write?
2: He tried.
0: Oh, I like that. I really like oh, that. Good, That's good stuff. That's a good one.
1: Tried.
2: Well, I hate to use the past tense. He tries.
1: There you go. He
2: tries. I'm not a. I'm not a rearview mirror mofo. You know what I mean. I'm like.
0: You're living it.
1: I'm looking in the rearview
0: mirror. Man, you know, so
2: I have a bad memory. You know.
0: Could could you live anywhere other than New York City?
2: I went through that once in my brain. I, I thought uh, I thought about that. I Haven't thought about that for several years. Uh, the only place at the time I was thinking about it was Amsterdam.
0: Mm, why Amsterdam? A,
2: a very a very human. Very human. It was. I don't know how it is now. Very human. I'm actually doing uh, via Zoom. I'm I'm coaching three big bands from the Amsterdam Conservatory next week. November. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, kind
0: of, yeah. That's it. He yeah, cares. I really, you know, I really hope that you you you're able to to get busy coming up. It sounds like you're just so bored and never getting to do anything. So. Um,
2: <laughs> you know what? I tell you, the only thing that's bothering me is just air travel, man. You don't like it? Not now. No. I, I try. I try playing brass screw off bills, mm. and I have about four of them. Holton even made me one back in the eighties. Really, great sound. Of it. So, oh yeah, um, I I worked for Holton. I, I worked for them for about ten years, and uh, so I got close to their designers, and uh, they actually made me. Uh, they actually made me three screw off bills. One, uh, I mentioned this to Jack Schatz. I sent a, I went to my storage. You know Jack Schatz?
1: I love Jack.
2: Bass yeah. All right, the bass trombone player. He, he's playing. Does the orchestras the shows
1: He's a Holton freak. Yeah, his his Holton he has is a real special horn. Oh my god. Yeah,
2: but well, he's a Holton freak, you know. And and um, worst case scenario, he puts me down for cha- for, for not playing a Holton bass case. Best case scenario. He doesn't realize he's behaving like Bob Dylan's fans when he moved to electric guitar. <laughs> he doesn't get that. I'm gonna have to tell him that like, hey, you mofo, you're just treating me like Dylan went to electric. Uh, so, but and then Edwards, I have a bunch of I have about five screw-offs, six, seven screw-off bells. I can't play one of them. I tried playing a carbon fiber one and I took it to Europe this summer. Well. Oh. It's a different sound. It's yeah. not a it's it's not a um it's not a it's not a brass sound, but I walked on that airplane like a champ,
0: bro. Yeah, yeah, just like psh, throw it. Walked on that airplane
2: like. So a that's hand. your so biggest
0: fear—is like the just the your horn being.
2: Yeah, I I, I used to ship them in um, underneath in big golf hard. Yeah. there's a fact. There's one back here hard golf yeah. cases. Then you're at the mercy of the handlers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, doing, yeah. So I always get nervous. I, I just don't want to be nervous. And they say, uh, so I'll see what happens. I don't know. I mean, I'm still, I'm still messing around with horns. It's fun, man.
0: So there's a desert island. You can only listen to one composer. Who's, who's that one composer? Oh, of
2: course, it's Bach. Man. Yeah. Bach, maybe I'll sneak in the Mozart Requiem.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. That's breaking the rules. <laughs>
2: I, I was once on a row. I, I was once on a row with Barbara Streisand, and she had a recording session. I think it would have paid like a thousand bucks, fifty something like that. But I was playing with the Mostly Mozart Festival, and they had a rehearsal of the Mozart Requiem. I said, "Hell with it, man! I'm playing the rehearsal." And I, and I went to the rehearsal. Re, Mozart Requiem, man. Yeah, Ooh, it's Never gets old. Never gets old, oh, man. That was the beauty of it. <laughs> My sight read I didn't say me, but the first time I played with the Boston Symphony, man, I, I had to play a Carnegie Hall, no rehearsals, Beethoven 9. And um, I'm sitting next to Norman Bolter. And you guys, you, you you young mofos, you know who these people are, of course, right? of course, yeah. All right, all right. So I'm sitting next to Bolter, and Ron is over there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the normal solo thing where we come in, and right? But there's another spot where we're just playing with the strings. It's kind of nondescript, you know. So I'm sitting here at Carnegie Hall, and I'm doing my Taylor disco act over, (laughs) over this extra bit of stuff we do. And Norman is sitting next to me. No, 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 you're in the wrong spot. Then he realized I wasn't in the wrong spot. That's it. Oh, you asked me about moments, man. That's a moment right there, man. That's funny how I got that gig. So I'm down at my I'm down at my nephew's wedding in Sarasota, Florida, and I didn't bring a horn. I, th-
0: I think you told me the like, story once. You're I did. Oh, you in I, the bathroom. I, I'm, I'm in the bathroom, right? <laughs> I remember this story. Go on. Oh wow! When did I tell you this, man? I hey, I listen to your stories. I remember all your stories. You're such oh, a storyteller. Yeah, <laughs> I got one hand on my phone and the other, right? Right.
2: That's it. Oh, you do remember, man. All right, how many years ago was that? Because I probably was with you right around when that went down. I,
0: I was at Manus 2006, 2010.
2: Yeah, that could have been 12 years ago. So I'm in the bathroom, and I'm doing that, and I had a drink or two. I don't remember if I had a drink or two. And... This Swedish guy or Norwegian guy gets on the phone. and he says, uh, "Hello, Mr. Taylor. I'm so and so from the Boston Symphony, and we need you to come down and blah blah blah." And uh, I thought it was my friend Solo, You know, I said, "Come on, Lou, stop it, man! I'm standing here, head pot, and and, and, and and I got one hand on my thing and one hand on the phone." And and he starts laughing. He says, "No, no, no! It it, it really is. <laughs> and call Ron Barron if you think that you know it's not." so we we need you to come down to carnegie hall and we have no time to rehearse we just have to do the gig the concert so i called ron baron up i said ron what's going on man he said uh well it's true doug is out we, we want you to come in man and i said okay um i said but ron i haven't played my horn in three or four days i haven't and we went on and on and on and then ron finally says to me look dave you want the gig or not? Yeah, yeah. So I said, yeah, you know what I mean? I want the gig. So I took a special flight up, warmed up real fast, and went to this gig. The thing that pissed me off about it was they didn't hire me for the tour until they heard me play the thing. They would, you know what I'm saying? That's how freelance works, man. That's how yep. freelance. All right. It's I, at the end of the question. Well, another question? What do you I got? got? I, oh, I got more. Man, I'm uh, giving fucking novels on all these quick. Yeah, answers, I know. Man. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> here, here, here. I'm, I'm looking so forward to happy. this novel.
2: You guys are so happy, man. You know, just, you're making me feel totally relaxed. I'll probably regret it in the morning. We're go having ahead. fun.
0: No, you're great. Right, okay. how, how, do you, how do you define success?
2: I've kept my family together.
0: Hmm. There you go.
2: Yes, I've kept my family together and um, I, I I knew what to prioritize. It's a wonderful. thing. I hope you boys. Well, Nick, you're married. You married there? Mm-mm. Well, can, hook up. It's
0: big, it's big, man. <laughs> you're, it's you and my, my dad. I love being married, Dave. I love
1: it. I love being married. Right? My wife's awesome.
2: Yeah, I, I, I was hanging out. Um, I went to the Austrian cultural forum the other night because my intellectual friend there was there was a picture about a, a movie about uh, somebody just came out with Schoenberg and his dalliance with art with painting,
0: you
2: know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it was much more complicated. So, I met a compo- a conductor who wants to get involved with me and blah, 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 and we're walking across town. And we're talking, he says, Jesus, David, how long are you married? He says, well, I'm married 54 years. And He says, what's that like? Because he was married 20-some odd years. He's married 20-some odd years. He was running home to his wife. He had just flown in from Berlin. And I said to him, if it weren't for her, it'd be nothing.
0: Hmm. And that's the truth, man. If it weren't for Ronnie, I don't think I'd be nothing. But how, how do that's you balance, why I'm so into How do you balance your, your crazy like travel schedule t- and, and performing always, schedule, and how do you keep she, the family a priority? All right. she
2: um, As I said, we agreed. In fact, I quit Thad Jones' band because she wanted me out of there because they were traveling a lot and all the cats were divorced. She didn't want me hanging out with all these divorced-ass motherfuckers on the road. So I, I quit so, well, it's just the truth of the matter, man. And uh, um, I didn't regret it because I used my education. And that's what you have to teach these kids, too. They are being exposed to these schools, to so all idioms, all genres. So, I used my education. I, 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 At disco, was the big thing at the time in the recording studios. So, I didn't have to know how to swing like a more, you know. Disco was even eighth note. Bach, Bach, that's Baroque, man. That's even eighth note stuff, man. Shite,
0: shine, and um, what was the question? How do you define success? I said,
2: I said, my fam, my family stayed, yeah.
0: Oh, oh, no, um, no, sorry. My question was, how do you balance? How do you, how do you all keep all the right, family okay, a all priority? All
2: right, all right. So, um, my wife is always goes on the road with. That's awesome. I, I don't go on the road without her but it, it, because um, the road, I don't care if you're yo yo ma, you on the road when you're on the road, mm. you know, and uh, first class this, limousine that, you know, when she's there, it's home. I think the Germans have a word for it, heimlich, heimlich something like that, meaning where the heart, not just a home, where the heart is. So she's on the road with me, man. Uh, I love that. And my brother used to cover for me, like, when my son, uh, when I had a couple of gigs, I was in Russia. Uh, uh, my, my brother stepped in and went to my son's graduation. You know what I mean? They covered me. My family covered me. Man. Like, uh, you got brothers?
0: Me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm an older brother and two older half-sisters.
2: How old are you? How many years difference?
0: Uh, he's three and a half years older. I'm the youngest. Uh. My older brother,
2: God bless his soul, was nine years older than me, mm. so he and I were kind of, you know, but my younger brother's three and a half years, four years younger than me, so uh, we're pretty tight. So we we cover each other, kind of, you know. So did I? What was the question? Yeah, keep you, the you answered together. it beautifully. Take the wife. Yeah, take the here's,
0: wife. He, co- yeah, go ahead. Here's my last one before Nick's oh, last question. Okay. Do you have any any regrets?
2: You know, I've thought about that a lot. Again, I'm at a point now where I'm so My, no My Well, if it were, it would be I I wish I were Yes, I do I wish I were gentler sooner Uh, I I came out Having Be in the jungle And I wish I could have been more elegant When I were uh, In my 30s and 40s
1: New York has a way of making people have sharp edges, you
2: know? Yes. You know, New York has a way, of, the freelance scene has a way of, of allowing you to be not humble or, or, or making it easier for you to be not humble. Mm. Mm. And I think I fell victim to that in a certain extent, but I was very lucky. My, my vision was always very muddy. And um, I feel like I am only now, and I, and I preserved it to get to this point, I'm only now seeing my vision clearly.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, that happened when I was around, in my late 50s, with my composer friend Daniel Schneider. But then it really happened to me when I started composing when I was 65. I luckily fell into an assignment. I do things on assignment. Um, if, if somebody hadn't asked me to write a piece i wouldn't have written it and i wouldn't have been able to continue so my vision now i'm one of these lucky cats man i'm a late bloomer man i'm like the what's it i'm like those uh, screwball pitches you can't pitch anymore so you fucking develop the screwball you're travels 40 miles an hour you know
1: you're like a, a fine french wine
2: Maybe I love. It. <laughs> I,
1: I've been into rose a lot lately. Oh yeah,
2: from France, mixture of Shiraz and a couple of.
1: I could not much. You know, I can see you being a rose guy, and I, I mean that's a compliment. No, but I wasn't. I, yeah, I know. I wasn't always man. That's funny. this summer, my wife says, "Come on,
2: let's go pink." Come on, and uh, I was always, uh, I was always a bourbon and beer. I was always a bourbon, I don't want to tell you what else I was, but I was always a bourbon <laughs> <laughs> You can <laughs> I Nah, no, man, those are those days, man. Uh, but everybody knows anyway, so. Um, I, I like to party at a period of my life, you know. Always practice, though.
0: Hmm.
2: Always practice. Work hard, play I, hard. I was, yeah, man. I, I would plan out my hangovers <laughs> for specific <laughs> Yeah, for a specific day, so that I couldn't practice. I just had to lay there. Oh, you know. You hear that, kids?
0: Uh, <laughs> Plan out your hand. <laughs> it's
2: not. bad
1: advice.
2: Bourbon. What was it? Royal. Uh, can, can, uh, royal. Uh, what the hell is Crown it, Royal? Crown Royal, right? Crown, Crown Royal, man. I used to have a million of little purple bags. Crown Royal, then it, bourbon and beer, and then it was vodka. And then it was um, – uh, then it, then when I had to stop doing all of that, it was uh, white wine, couldn't drink beer anymore. And so I stopped drinking wine, too. I, I stopped drinking, period, not even for, you know, dinner party, I might have a glass. But this summer, I, I eased into rosé.
0: You put, it's you a nice put your t- pinky up? You put your pinky No, I, I don't drink. put
2: my pinky up. And we don't drink it out of wine glasses. You know, the, the, new, the nouveau thing, man, is like uh, – Tumblers, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So so we drink it out of tumblers. I don't know, man. I'm I I pray for health. You never know, my age. You never know what's going to happen. If anything happens, I hope it happens quick.
0: You know, I think the number one thing is, though. I mean, I just you just have an energy for life. Like you're loving what you're doing. I think that keeps you healthier than anything you do. I'm,
2: I'm I'm praying that I'm praying that you're correct. I actually pray all day. You know, I'm not religious, but I pray all day, all day long. Oh, you know that kind of thing. Let me just uh, give me one more year of this, man. You know, the, uh, dudes, you uh, you two guys are lifers. I know that. <laughs> you couldn't be in the better dudes and you're doing the right thing now, too. You know, I really wanted to be on this interview because you you guys are dealing with a different thing. I've done a bunch of these podcasts, and they're all wonderful. But you guys, I mean, especially with the Midwest thing, and and, uh, where where is that thing? Pittsburgh? Where do you work out of? Where is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Something like that. We're actually up in the Catskills right now having a little retreat. No kidding. Where in the Catskills? West Hurley. West Hurley? Close to uh, Woodstock? Yeah, about 15 minutes from Woodstock.
1: Well, that's... Catskills for me is Monticello. And, uh, this is the beginning of the that, ca- that, Catskills. This is a... <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm talking Borscht
2: Belt.
1: Yeah, uh, Borscht like up a uh, uh, up in the
2: Ellenville and, uh, Wy- and, uh, uh, and
1: Wyndham and south of Wyndham. Wyndham is it? <laughs> yeah.
2: No, no. It's it's it's, uh, it's lovely up there. Oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. Lovely.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, but
2: you guys have a different take on it. Uh, you're, you're truly lifers. I'm into the yeah. education thing. I came to it late, but. Um,
0: you're doing the right thing, man. We're just yeah. having that, trying to, I just think everybody has a story and we're just ha- trying to have real conversations and showing that oh, we're all yeah. unique. No, no, it's,
2: it's, it's really terrific, man. I, I think I'm playing concerto with Tully. I can't talk too much about playing concerto with Tully Hall. I'm going to try to talk him into playing my concerto with Tully Hall. Schneeder's right. You know, you know Daniel Schneeder's music? Yeah,
0: well, of course. Yeah, you must know. Yeah.
2: So he's writing me some. We're, we're kind of buddies. So we've
0: got something new on the horizon and, uh,
2: yeah right he's writing
0: all that hard stuff
2: well you know it's funny man uh he loves playing the soprano saxophone
1: the bass trombone is a perfect foil for it yeah foil yeah you know it's it's someone's got to be the heel
2: right (laughs) yeah somebody's got to be on the bottom of that. so that's kind of cool here again you never know where you're going to pick up this thing i was playing in a swiss big band with a lot of star guys and we were playing in zurich in a air Hinger. this must have been 30 years ago 35 years ago. and he came down here and he i was soloing the harmony and stuff like that and next day he found out i was eating lunch someplace and he came and joined me usually i push people away for some reason i didn't push this cat away and he said like, all right look I'm, I'm starting a trio i'd love to write for you why don't we do it i'm going to move to new york then we've been families, friends and we uh, He's a little younger than me. Older than you cats, but he's a little
0: younger than me. Now this, everyone's playing his music because of you.
2: Trombone uh, players. Me, but he's written me duos, trios, concertos, sonatos. Sonatos. Not- and you: uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good writer, man. He's a very good writer. And uh, so I'm always, what else would we do, man? Uh,
0: man, I have no a hobby. Wait.
2: <laughs> you have a hobby?
0: Well, right I know that's what people always ask. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, my job. I, I is know. Like, they ask I me that all job. the time.
2: No, they ask me. Yeah, right.
0: Podcasting is my hobby. I guess cooking, <laughs> cooking is my hobby. Who do you cooking listen to? Who you
2: got? What what non musical podcast you mofos listen to? Oh
0: man, a lot. I, I a love podcasts. sports podcasts. It's bad.
1: I love podcasts too, man. It's I, a uh, great medium.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's just spectacular, man. Uh, Whoever, whomever they are, is it's interesting. it's totally cool. But look, you had a question. Is that the idea? how do Yeah. You Nick, this? Nick,
0: Nick has. I can't wait to hear your answer yeah. to Nick's question. Okay.
2: Oh God, man! I, I answered everything wrong so far, man. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep going with a hundred, batting a thousand. <laughs> hey, are you guys into baseball at all? Well, there's a wonderful series going on now, man.
1: Uh, I got I got hit in the head uh, by baseball at a Detroit Tigers game. <laughs> That true story. And then that, that explains a lot.
2: the bass trombone. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Go ahead, here's my then, question.
0: Damn. Oh man. What
1: do you think students are not doing enough of, and they need to do more of?
0: Well,
2: I mean, now the, now the, uh, the go-to word is improvisation. Uh, they're not. <sighs> Repeat the question.
1: What are students not doing enough of that they need to be doing more of?
2: I tell students, um, those who stay in the building will stay in the building, but there's one way around it. You can make school the street if you can just shed peer pressure. I, I think um, as individuals, we're all cool. But once we get together, the students, there's always some kind of iconic sound there's always some kind of proper way to phrase. There's always some kind of proper, given the time frame, some kind of proper this, some kind of proper that. They're afraid to think for themselves. This is time. This is what, you know what, man? Cats forget what the Meistersinger Singer is about. That's one of the heaviest pieces in the repertoire. You're Meister Singer. Mm -hmm. It's about all these pompous-ass teachers sitting around on the jury. Yeah. And it's just like, nobody pays attention to what stuff is really. Most composition is political and um, human. Dealing with with the same problems Socrates and, and Aristotle, all these cats were talking about, man. Zen, I mean, the ancient religions are all talking about the same stuff. So I, I think the, the the big thing is um, thinking for themselves. And that's the tire. That's my thrust with my students. That, that basically is my thrust. Think for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Learn, to, learn to fail. Learn, learn both handbooks. You know, I think if there's envy or jealousy in my career, of people, of what I'm doing. I think they resent the fact that I understand the golden rule and the handbook and the street handbook. We're living in a country that doesn't have the same kind of arts protection that, say, Europe or Asia has. You know Berlin, you talk to the intellectuals now, they all wish they were in Berlin. Why? Because during the pandemic, man, Berlin supported their artists. Yes, they did. Berlin came, uh, Germany came through, London came through better than we do. They, they came through. So I had to figure out a way to do what I do without grant grant money. And my children, I had children, I think I mentioned six, eight months after I got out of Juilliard. So um, I had to make money. I had to continue my money vision of practicing. And I knew there was a higher calling. The higher calling is live in the moment. Truth Revealing Itself. I've had fail-safes for practice. Kids come up to me and say, well, yeah, Dave, sure. Everybody says they uh, when they're interpreting, they're not afraid of failure on the stage. So how come you're not afraid? I'm not afraid because I was making money from all these other areas. My solo stuff wasn't dependent. My income wasn't dependent on my solo stuff. You have to treat the environment you're in. You have to be more, they're not, oh, shit. I'm so fucking sorry, man. They're not pragmatic.
1: They're not pragmatic. They're
2: not pragmatic. And um, one must be in this culture, in this culture where 90,000 people show up for a half ass football game, you know, where, um, where orchestras, and I'm not blaming them, but here's another thing students don't realize 30 or 40 years ago, when I could have gotten involved more fully with orchestral playing, orchestras weren't paying that. Much uh, as much as they're paying now, the schedules, the seasons weren't as long as they are. I mean, these are temporary. I envy your job, Schwartz, because you don't have to work the whole year.
1: Yeah, it's a good one,
2: that's a goodie, bro. Yeah, um, but seasons weren't, seasons weren't as long now. And here's another thing this whole Star Wars trip, man. Uh, look at I went to the. I go to the movies, man. I dig everybody, everybody dig, but an orchestra forty years ago. Star Wars, man, with the cats dressing up like R two D ten. Give me <laughs> a break, man. An orchestra. Can you imagine Vacchiano dressing up like Princess Leia? I mean, give me a break, man.
1: Imagine. It's like the Romans. It's like the Romans said, "Give them bread and circus." If you have, if they have food, if they have entertainment, they're not going to think about their situation. They're not going to think about w- what's going on in the world. Just- a guy
2: wrote me a that's brilliant, bro. A-, a guy wrote me a piece years ago, and I did it at the ITF, IT whatever the hell that is. I handed out balloons. Now I warned them. Now don't stop blowing up those goddamn balloons until I tell you. The- of course, they couldn't. You give a you give a person in a tuxedo, which I also done, formal concerts, a balloon. I'm talking about the head of whoever, whatever company, man. I start playing a piece, and they start blowing up the balloons. And I said, "Make sounds while I'm playing the piece. and You blow up your balloons and let the air out." And the point of the piece was, if you keep them busy doing that kind of stuff. They won't pay attention to what's really going on, and that's what you're just saying. yeah Nick. of course. That's what, you, that's what you, and that's what you can are saying. What was that question? Remind me of that question. What the students? Is that what, was that the
1: students' yeah, question? Yeah, the students' question.
2: I love the students. Luckily, I have um, I only teach around six or seven hours a week. I do most of the teaching at
1: Manhattan and
2: NYU, but I'm lucky. Whoever comes, I don't get dead weight uh, because they know. Uh, I had one kid who took off one time too much because he had asthma. I yelled at him, God damn it, you got an asthma attack, you come here, I'll call the goddamn ambulance. <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I don't get that very often. What I get now mainly is the jazz students taking private lessons, but the classical students are in my ensemble. They, they want my ensembles. It's a, very, it's a very interesting thing. So I'm surrounded by... Well, I mean, like Coletti and all these cats, Coleman Williams. These are all of my 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 chamber cats, you know. So, uh, yeah, man, I think the students are doing just fine. They got to go <laughs> besides they gotta all go, those other things, <laughs> right? They got to go to the right teacher, man. They got to. I got into big trouble. Uh, 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 Doug Yo did an, uh, an interview with me for the ITF ITA about forty years ago, and I said some of these things, and a lot of the cats in the orchestras got totally bent out of shape. I, I accused the um, schools and the orchestras of being the academio. I compared it to the military-industrial complex. The orchestral academic in, uh, complex, I called it. You know, but then again, you get Nitzan Herodes came right out of school, man. Went right into that,
0: man. Nobody
2: has a sound like that, motherfucker. The sound is like it's, this. It's
1: amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's
2: round, and there's something in the middle that's twirling around, man. It's uh, oof.
0: Man, right. Dave.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, I wish I could have been more elegant for
0: you. Oh, you this was, this, was so no, no. this is this no, is everything I no. could have hoped for. No. I mean, this I honestly I t- Nick can Verify. I mean, like when we started this thing, I'm like, "Oh, we can't wa- ta- wait to talk to Dave All right. well, at the right time, it's going to be like perfect." Yeah. So, yeah. thank thanks for sharing your 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 stories and your time with us and and you, selfish, you were
2: doing it for selfish reasons.
0: <laughs> sure. Um <laughs> yeah.
1: and well, it's it's, it's going to inspire a lot I of am. people. I'm telling
2: you. All right, man. Well, whatever. Here's yeah. the thing. My my piece of advice: make money
0: and stay under the radar. All right.
2: That's my advice. I like that. I love you. I boys. like that. I love you, boys, really, and I honor uh, that you asked me.
0: We love yeah. you, man, and, and you're, right. you've been one of the most profound musical influences on my life. So oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never stop saying that. Well, all right, if that's. The I, case, I, re- man, I truly you mean it?
2: Wear a shirt with a collar for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm, at
0: <a> <laughs> I'm at a retreat. I'm at a retreat. This is a podcast, Dave. Well, well, well,
1: Dave, we're we're, we're not we're, we're not hobo's. We put on tuxedos after six p.m. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no,
2: I know. I, I know that. Man.
0: All right, boys. All right. Thanks, man. All right, say hi to your wife for me. I will, man. All right, take care. Bye.
1: Well, I think we can safely say that's pretty much exactly what we expected from our
0: interview with Dave Taylor. (laughs) He's got energy for days, and we love that. I I can only hope that I have that hunger and artistic drive when I'm 78 years old. But I'm not lying. He's, He's one of my heroes. It's just, he's one of those people that I don't know what it is, but every time I've played for him in a lesson or played with him or in a chamber coaching, there's something about him that just brings out my best and brings out my musicianship more than anyone else I've ever been around. And I, I really think it, he just does a, such a great job of really encouraging you to be your own musician and develop your own voice, which, you know, in classical music, sometimes we're, we're always so concerned about perfection of this historic art form, which is very important, of course. But he really, since he's just been such a soloist and a unique trailblazer in so many ways, he's so good at getting you to just like cultivate who you are and get to the core of it. And he responds to it.
1: You know, I was thinking about this after the interview and just the, the times I've seen him perform either like on videos or live or heard him do master and or whatever. There is an alternate universe where a person like Dave Taylor doesn't fit in any boxes and therefore is like there's no way that there's room for a Dave Taylor in the world but in this universe that we're in right now he's also in no boxes and he's found a way to make that kind of his thing that like he doesn't fit in any boxes and i think that's exactly the point like he's kind of a chameleon he can do almost anything on the instrument and i think that that's part of what is makes his brand so intriguing is you know it, one of the most recent things he did was this schubert reimagined with tromon choir and he was like reciting stuff through a megaphone and it's just mm-hmm. like it's schubert and it's not schubert and it's a bass Ramon recital but it's it's not about the bass Rammon at the same time it's you can it's almost indescribable when you hear the outcome of that project it's uh And that's just one of the
0: projects. I mean, one of hundreds upon hundreds. Yeah, you really can't criticize him because he's not trying to be anyone but himself. And speaking of Schubert, I mean, he loves Schubert. And still one of my favorite Rainy Day YouTube videos is him playing that Der Doppelganger uh, Schubert arrangement with the post-classical ensemble at the Kennedy Center. And he had this idea to perform solo bass trombone with like, there's like 12 basses behind him or something, playing Mm -hmm. drones and chords. And it, it is... Incredible and passionate and expressive and introspective and it's incredible if you've never watched it. Just if you just go to YouTube and say Dave Taylor plays Schubert, it's like the first thing that comes up. So good, but I mean, he, he would do things like you know, I'm I'm studying in New York for the first time at that point, and we'd be in a chamber coaching playing some normal trio we've always played or some regular Baroque arrangement or Renaissance thing, and he'd be like yeah, like, why don't you play that again? But play a down octave and like 30 beats slower and, and put a bucket mute in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, uh, okay. And we, and we try it and it's like the most beautiful thing we've ever heard in our lives. <laughs> we're just like, oh, okay. Um, he's just that kind of thinker and it makes music fun. And, you know, he, he's doing his own thing. So I, I'm so glad he, he wanted to hang out with us. It was really cool.
1: Yeah, and just so much, so many stories. It was like, yeah, I don't want to unpack any individual one because then we'll end up just talking for another hour and a half. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had so many amazing stories of just gigs that he's done, or people that he's met, or people that he's played with, and on top of that, just kind of like anecdotes about antidotes about the scene. Uh,
0: antidotes, 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 antidotes. He, he has the cure. He has the cure for the poison.
1: He has antidotes about the anecdotes. There we go.
0: Anic. Yeah, that's one of those words that the second you start thinking about it and how it's spelled, it's like impossible to say it. Thank
1: you, English language.
0: Anecdotadotadotadotadot. Um, but
1: yeah, he 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 was exactly what we thought he'd be, which is a storyteller,
0: and that's really definitely what he's the about. the it's definitely the longest rapid fire section we've ever had. But I was here for it. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like 40 minute long. Yeah. yeah. Love you, Dave. Thank you so much. Uh, we cherish you. So if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe everywhere you download your podcasts. Also, please consider being a patron on patreon.com slash Trombone retreat and leaving us a rating or review on iTunes and Spotify as it helps us out quite a bit. A special thank you to Houghton Horns at houtenhorns.com for being our season sponsor. Follow us at Trombone retreat on all the social media's And our website, tromboneretreat.com, where you can also join our mailing list. On Instagram, follow Nick at Bass Trombone444 and myself at js.vera. And also, we just announced on our website uh, our guest artists for our upcoming Third Coast Trombone Retreat. One, uh, Joseph Halesi, if you're familiar, and Jeremy Buckler of the Baltimore Symphony. So, go check out our website, tromboneretreat.com, for information on our upcoming 10th Annual Third Coast Terminal. Unbelievable. June 19th to the 25th, I believe. Yes.
1: And on Thanksgiving, if you're too full of turkey. Eat some more turkey. Wash it down with some stuffing.
0: And some some American football. Kiss your grandma square on the cheeks. (laughs) Can you kiss someone square on the cheeks? Absolutely you can. I thought square on the lips is the only way because it's like in the middle. So, square. Yeah, square. Well, maybe if you even it out, do like European style kiss on both cheeks. Besos. Oh, okay. And, uh, and, uh, go, 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 be, go. No, fuck. (laughs) No, just go. Retreat yourself. that's terrible i loved it okay i I love all did okay good happy thanksgiving everybody